Before we start, a massive thank you from me. I asked for donations this year and you've come up trumps. £90 went towards a SoundCloud premium account and that means that you can find the podcast in most places now. It's on SoundCloud but it's also on Apple Podcasts, Deezer, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify and if there's anywhere else, please let me know and I'll try and get the feed into there. Our aim now is to raise as much funds as we can for Airdrie Ladies. We're currently sitting at £180 but we're looking to get that up to 450 If you'd like to help, go to gofundme.com forward slash Airdrie dash ladies dash fundraising. Thanks in advance. Over the summer, and in the absence of first team football, I was keen to speak to those behind the scenes at Airdronians to get a bit of an insight as to the work that goes on. We've already heard from Director of Football Stuart Miller, and in this interview I speak to Scott Black, Director of Airdronians Academy, about the work that he puts in. I'm delighted to be joined for a special one-off podcast by Scott Black, uh, Director of Airdronians Academy. Scott, good evening, how are you? Yeah, very well, thanks mate, yourself? I'm good, I'm good. Scott, I, I've known you for a quite a while we were uh, we were at school together uh albeit it was probably well i was almost in the same year as your brother so we were a couple of years a couple of years older than me colin a couple of years older i'll, than I'll concede that <laughs> <laughs> but for, for those that don't know you can you tell us a bit about yourself where you're from uh what your day job is and, and how you get involved in, in the academy at airdrie yeah sure um so my name's scott black I'm 32 years old, um, so I'm slightly younger than yourself. Um, born and raised in Airdrie. Um, currently staying in a wee village just outside Airdrie. I have a one-year-old daughter and a very understanding wife. Um, I work at New College Lanarkshire. I coordinate an apprenticeship programme. That's my sort of Monday to Friday, nine to five. Um, and then alongside that, um, I've got this fancy title of academy manager, director, whatever it is you want to call me. Um, at Airdrie and that's pretty much 24-7 and uh, as well as that you're an Airdrie fan and I know that you're an Airdrie fan and like myself it was probably a birthright more than a, a conscious choice because I know that your dad and your brother are, are also big Airdrie fans What's your, what were your early memories of supporting Airdrie how did you get involved in going along I get, yeah you're, you're pretty much spot on I, I think many Airdrie fans you, you don't really know how you ended up being an Airdrie fan you just kind of did you're, you're right it runs in the family uh, my grandpa was a massive Airdrie supporter as I'm sure uh, sort of his older uh, family were as well but one of my first kind of early memories and this probably looks bad on my dad but he took me and my older brother to an Airdrie Rangers game at the old Brimfield I'm pretty sure it was the intention of his to have his support Rangers um, because they won the league that day and I'm pretty sure it was Gary McSwiggin that scored the goal and obviously all the Rangers fans were celebrating but for some reason me and my brother liked the red and white diamonds and um, it kind of stuck from there and I've, uh, as I'm a long-suffering Airdrie fan shall we say I think the, the, the kind of best days of Airdrie um, I was kind of too young to kind of really be involved in and really remember so ever since, I think it was 93, I think that game was, my very first game at the old Broomfield. So yeah, not not as long as some of your listeners probably. You're right, I'm sure that was 1993 and not only did Rangers win the league that day, I think he'd get relegated and the Rangers fans, Alan McCoy <laughs> had a broken leg and they'd like a cardboard cut out of him tied to the, the post. So uh, the fact that uh, that was the way you started supporting it, you didn't take the early warning, Scott. <laughs> nobody, no, I definitely Nobody didn't. promised you it was going to be easy. Uh, no, I definitely not. 
and then so from Airdrie Academy to the Airdrie Williams Academy so how did you get involved in football coaching initially and, and end up in the role that you're in? Well I played a wee bit when I was younger and ended up over in America on a scholarship came home didn't really know what I was going to do I was just kind of working uh, Monday to Friday 9 to 5 job and then I met a, a fellow Airdrie Williams a good family friend um, Jim Bertley we were out for a family dinner and he was telling me he's a he was a PE teacher, not so much these days. Um, he was telling me he was involved with the Julian's Boys Club, with Peter Craig, um, and if I'd be interested in coming along and giving them a hand. Um, and then it turned out Liam Brindle had an agreement with them that they would enter the academy the following year. So I had a year at Boys Club, um, and that was about seven or eight years ago. And then from there, I've, I've, I've never really left. I've always kind of been involved at various age groups. Left my job, um, went back to complete my degree in sports coaching and development, and then yeah, I've kind of I've I've never really been away. As I said, that was about seven or eight years ago, I think it was, and now I'm kind of this position. I'm I'm doing my A license as well just now, so I'm still sort of working towards um, the sort of highest coaching qualification I can get without having a sort of professional background at the moment and without working full time in football the sort of licence is the highest that you can go um, and I'm doing other kind of bits and pieces on the side as well just to make sure I'm up to speed with, with everything football and see how we can implement different things at the academy but yeah that's kind of how I got involved and sort of where I am at the moment and What was your experience in America? How did you end up over there and where did you go? Well, again, it was a fellow Airdrie and Ian Richardson. Was, uh, we played a game of five sides many moons ago, and um, I think he was back on it was like a Christmas break or something, and he was telling us about his time over in America. And I kind of looked into it, and I thought that sounds quite interesting. Looked into it, went for a trial. They kind of clipped some footage, sent it to some coaches. They all got a few offers, um, and I ended up in Iowa in the Midwest. Probably not my smartest move. Um, middle of nowhere, the weather's terrific. One month snow and nine feet snow drifts, the next month it was chaos. The football standard really wasn't that great, but there was a lot of Scottish boys over there in the sort of conference that we played in. I had a few, well, I had one in my team alongside myself. And yeah, kind of lasted a year. Uh, the economy crashed, college, all the colleges kind of cut their budgets and stuff. And unfortunately, that affected uh, my situation whether I was going to stay or not and then ended up coming home but then again three months later bumped into gym and here I am kind of thing so it's just one of those things but it was a great experience I'd recommend it to any young player that's interested in getting an education and playing soccer um, at at a decent level Um, but as I said I wouldn't recommend Iowa. (laughs) America well they've been very successful in women's football just won the Women's World Cup again but even even the men's team I mean they're they missed out in the last World Cup that was unusual they tend to get to the knockout stages so I get the impression that we the Scots that go over there aren't that impressed by the standard but you any insight as to why from say college level forward they managed to get their their elite players to, to that level. They, they, they do a lot. Of, they do a lot of things well. And, and sport in general is something that I think the Americans do really, really well. It's it's part of your education. So whether it's softball, baseball, American football, soccer, you get a college degree or a university qualification whilst you're 
competing in sport. If you look at golf, golf's a, a terrific example of how the Americans have got it right because a lot of Europeans go over there, play golf to a very high standard and then they enter the tour and then you look at McDonald's, again, a lot of the American golfers come through the college system. Robert McIntyre, the Scottish boy that's uh, played at Port Rush there, he, um, he, he, he's another example of uh, a young athlete from here going over there um, and doing very well and making a successful career out of it. But I think in terms of the football, they're very athletic. Technically, I think is where they kind of fall down. But the ones that make it over in America, um, I think that the sort of American players, they don't stay and play in the MLS. They, they come over to Europe um, or they go to South America. And that's where they, can, that's where they get a lot of their players from. And kind of real development stages happen later on for the Americans, but they're very very athletic and I guess they've got huge numbers as well so maybe you've got more chance of finding the, the gems when you've got such a big population, I don't know if that makes a difference Yeah I think that's one argument for it but again I think Iceland eh, throw the spanner in the box for that argument a very small nation with probably a, a, again their facilities and the, their sort of set up for football over there is something that I think a lot of small nations are starting to look at and think, oh, maybe we should be looking at something along those lines in terms of their development, their facilities, their, their coaches. So, uh, yeah, I think if you have a lot of people, if you have a, a huge population, then, yeah, you're, you're going to find 16 good football players in there, I'm sure, if you've got millions and millions and millions of people. But, again, if you're, if you're a small nation like, like Iceland, if you plan and, and take a strategic approach to it, then... Yeah, you're probably going to just find a, a similar standard, if not better. And so from the US back to, to Airdrie, you've told us a few things. You've told us the job title. You've told us you've got an understanding wife. And you've told us it's 24-7. <laughs> but can you put a more, bit more colour into it than that? I mean, what's the, what do you do in a typical week as as academy director? Oh, where will I start, Colin? Where will I start? We'll go with a Monday, right? So Monday's my night off. So usually with that comes phone calls, text messages, emails from players, parents, coaches, just asking usually mundane questions, something that can usually wait till a Tuesday night, but they find a Monday night appropriate. So that's a Monday. Train the recovery says six till seven on a Tuesday with the academy. Um, I'm also on for the reserves with, with Jazz Grant this season for the time being. Um, so we're in six till seven thirty. You know, hang on and watch a wee bit of the first team training most nights as well. Um, Wednesday's Wednesday's a long night, so we're, sometimes we bring the boys in from seven half past seven. We're until half past nine. Uh, we do a wee bit of analysis on a Wednesday night with the boys, and that's the sort of coaches are watching clip footage from the previous game and kind of build it round the aims of the, the sort of sessions that they've been working on. Or they'll talk about positive things that they've been doing. And so giving the, giving the boys examples are, are sort of good play and stuff. So we do that on Wednesday and then we're out on the pitch. Quite a technical session. And then on a Friday, oh sorry, Thursday, Mr. Thursday, Thursday, I'm in the reserves. And again, that's usually a night where I get a lot of questions, eh, whether it's parents eh, or, or coaches. Thursday night, six till half past seven, usually sometimes the, the reserves so far have been in training with the first team as well. So it's just kind of one big squad. So there's an insight for all the, the Airdrie fans. It's just kind of one big squad at the moment. We don't have a set reserves first team. And then on a Friday, boys, the younger boys, the 16s are in 6 till half past 7, and then the 18s are in half past 7 till 9 o'clock. So a Friday night's quite a long one as well. Sometimes you'll find me either on the side of the pitch watching training, up in the box watching training, in the stand, 
obviously the bars not open, but in the bar out the road doing a bit of paperwork. We've got a lot of registrations, paperwork we need to fill out for the beans and stuff as well that a lot of people don't really see. On Saturday, nine times out of ten, we're in in the morning training, and then I'll try and stay on and watch the first team game if it's a home game. Again, thanks to my understanding life. And then Sunday, it's usually an all-day shot. The boys will either be in training if they don't have a game, or... We'll be playing a game, and again, it's home games, away games, and as I said, if the boys don't have a game, then we're in training on a Sunday. So it's it's quite full on, to be honest, Colm. That sounds it. And you mentioned 16s and 18s there, is that it? Or have you got other age groups as well? No, that's the only two age groups that we've got. So the, the sort of structure that we sit in within the Club Academy Scotland is the advanced youth setup. We're part-time, we're, we're League One. We're a small club in comparison to a lot of the, the clubs out there. We sit in the advanced youth, so we only have an under-16s and an under-18s. The under-16s, it's usually made up of the one sort of age group, but sometimes we, we drop some boys down or we bring some younger boys in from local boys' clubs, and the under-18s are predominantly made up of the sort of older age group. But this year, we've got a real kind of mix. We've only really got four or five of the older age group at the under-18s, because that incorporates 18s and 17s. So it's a kind of dual age banding, so it's a real challenge for the boys going from under-16s, playing week in, week out, to then go up into a dual age banding, playing against older players, and they're maybe not playing as many games and getting as many minutes as they had, because there's an older player who is ahead of them in their position, so we're kind of finding that a challenge, and that's always really been the case, um, or at least since I've been involved, especially with the older age groups, there's been a dual age band, um, so that that definitely is a challenge. And what's the end game, Scott? I mean, is, this, is this driven at trying to produce elite players for Airdrie, presumably? Um, yeah, I think so. I think I think um, any academy, would you, you want to pr- try and produce players for your first team, um, but ultimately... If we can produce football players that can go on and play at a higher level, then great. I think you'd be daft not to want your boys to go and play at a higher level. But ultimately as well, not everybody's going to make it. Not everybody that comes through your doors is going to be a first-team football player somewhere up and down the country at a professional level. So I think one of the things that especially younger boys need to need to realise that you're not Going to, or you might not, there is a, a distinct possibility that you might not going to, going to go and play professional football somewhere, so you need to have a backup. So one of the things that we do with the younger ones, eh, we, we put them through a, a skills for work qualification in football, so they get a wee bit of insight into employment and the sort of sports industry, um, and again that's kind of looking back at my background um, and the sort of job that I had that took me to New College Lancashire. It was employability. It was dealing with young people that had left school with no qualifications. So one thing I wanted to try, or I wanted to try and do, so I implemented it last year. We started it in January. So we're trying to kind of educate the boys as well into different career paths and stuff that's available to them whilst they're at the football club and things that are available to them if, if they're not at the football club. And one of the things we try and do is encourage the boys, if they are serious about a career in sport, if they want to continue their development with the football, um, New College Lancashire offer a football performance course at Broadwood, and it's Todd Lumsden, who's an ex-Alpine Rovers manager. Just again, for any other fans out there, he is a good guy, believe me. <laughs> um, and then uh, Alan Moore, he also uh, delivers on the programme. And then Sandy Clark uh, works very closely, closely with the guys as well. So it's a football performance course that they do 
at various different levels. It gives the guys a, a college qualification whilst they are still playing football. So it kind of mimics the American college setup for, for what I had when I was over there as well. Um, so we try and encourage the boys to do that just in case they don't make it. And again, it's, it's something they can fall back on. Some some of the boys take us up on it. Some of them don't. Some of them have already got a career path in their mind and football's just a hobby. And, and some of the boys that are really, really good, that, that's not a bad attitude to have. They're just coming because they enjoy it. Just so happens that they're very good at it. So kind of part-time football would be good for them. But yeah, I think that ultimately, if we can push boys into the first team, they obviously would probably prefer the first team to be in the championship or the sort of top division of the country rather than League 1 or League 2. Just a personal preference of mine, I think. But yeah, if we can get boys through into the first team, then, then I think I think that's a successful academy. And you mentioned the, the setup that the teams are within, so it wasn't SPFL that you, you mentioned there. Is it mainly SPFL teams that, that take part? Is it affiliated to it? You mentioned that you're just one of the smaller teams and it's part-time. Or the, the, do the bigger clubs have full-time youth academies putting teams out? Yeah, so we have um, a couple of different tiers. So there's the elite, and then there's performance, and then there's progressive performance. So there's a couple of teams that are trying to get into the elite status, um, and then there's the advanced youth. So the advanced youth set up is ourselves, Queen of the South, Throws, Elgin, Stirling Albion, and Alola. We did have Livingston, eh, but they folded a year and a half ago, something along those lines. So there is only really the six teams that operate within our structure. I think everybody will agree that quite small clubs, when you when you look at Rangers, Celtic, Hibs, Hearts, Aberdeen, the D United, Dundee, all of these kind of teams, they all operate within the higher kind of structure. And again, the majority of them are full-time, eh, and they have full-time academy staff. Some of the guys have got sort of two full-time members of staff per age group, sports scientists, physiotherapists, video analysis, all these fancy jobs that go along with a football club. And they've all got them mirrored for all their academy teams as well. So yeah, that's the kind of structure that we're in just now. There are there is a sort of conversation happening potentially with some of the other you know, sort of Lowland League teams that have got aspirations of coming in to the, the, the sort of SPFL and with that we're, we're looking at expanding there's been discussions about expanding the sort of academy uh, set up that we're, we're in just now and inviting these clubs in to see how it goes You're in the central belt you've got Rangers, Celtic, Hearts, Hibs a whole host of other teams on the doorstep I mean is it in terms of attracting people to the academy, is that really tough just given where we are geographically and the size of the, the competition competing teams um, yeah I think uh, as I said we are a small club in comparison to some of the clubs near us but that being said I think we've got a real family feel at the club the academy the players sort of kind of backroom staff the fact we train and play at the stadium as well is a huge selling point for the players some of the guys because there is only the two teams we had three coaches at each age group previously and um, so we could kind of dedicate a bit more time to the boys could do a bit more analysis, we could do a wee bit more individual practice because we had the space and the coaches available to do that and break the break the kind of play down into smaller groups. But yeah, I think it's fantastic to have the facility for ourselves and the boys, but ultimately, yeah, it's, it is difficult to attract young players to the club. And sometimes, though, recently, well, probably more recently than, than I've experienced in the past, we've actually got some of the bigger clubs 
picking up the phone and, and, and phoning us. And I kind of mentioned it in my, my programme article for Saturday. They pick up the phone, they give us a they give us a call, not just about friendlies, but about players as well. Some of the boys that maybe aren't quite ready to make the next step in their academy. They look at us and think, well, do you know what? Scott's got coaches in there that do X, Y, and Z. Again, I've been I've been around, been involved in, in football for many years. So I know quite a few people. And again, some of the coaches that we've got in, they also know other coaches at other clubs. And you just get, I don't know, I, how do you describe it? Not a feel-good factor, because I, I don't believe in feel-good factors. I think it's, it's um, we've got, a, I don't know, calling them. It sounds like you're, you're valued and respected by other teams. So although, although they're competing with you, it sounds as if they, they recognise that Airdrie's a, a good setup, So they're, they're willing to trust you guys with some of their assets. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that's that's pretty much what I was trying to say there. I think, um, especially with some of the boys that, as I said, they're maybe not quite ready to make the step for some of the other clubs, but they look at us and they think, you know what, they'll give you a chance. They'll, they'll give you an opportunity to go and develop. They've got structures in place in there that, that we also have at our club. So it's quite similar so yeah, yeah, I think um, respected is, is a word that you would probably wouldn't hear about Airdrie from other clubs very often. But if people can say that about the academy, I think that's that's definitely a good thing. Good. More recently, the, the first team's moved on a hybrid model. You've mentioned the crossover and training with the reserves, but we've also seen some academy prospects promoted to the first team structure. I mean, that must make you proud for one thing. Uh, but what can you tell us about the lads that have been taken on or are now part of the first team setup? I think it's important to remember their ages. I think first and foremost, you need to remember they're only 16, 17, 18 years old. And what can happen between signing a first professional contract and playing in your competitive debut? I think once they start to clock up appearances, then we'll look at them and use them as examples for, for some of the young boys that are coming through just now. And kind of say, this is what you can achieve. And again, that's something that we can sell to other other players other clubs as well to say, listen, if they're not going to make it there, they've got a great opportunity here to potentially go on and play full-time football or at least get a full-time contract and be in that full-time environment, which is invaluable. But the four boys in particular, they've all got great attitudes. I think that's that's paramount. If you, if you want to make it in the game, I think you need to have that work ethic and willingness to learn. Um, and I think they need to maintain that. Otherwise, I think their progress will stall. If they sit back and pat themselves in the back or I don't end up at TJ Fryers having a pizza supper after training one night. I don't think that will do them any good. But I think if they keep working hard at it, doing the right things whilst they're at training, whilst they're also away from training, I, th- I, th- I think the four boys will do well. But I'm not going to sit here and kind of talk them up too much. I think hopefully the supporters and yourself and obviously the management team, and they'll see from themselves. And when the time is right, hopefully the boys will get an opportunity to go on the pitch and impress. It's something that interests me a lot, uh, and I'm sure does you as well. Just developing young footballers seems to be very, very difficult. So every football club in the English Premier League has got to have a, an academy, a multi-million pounds academy, and yet you hardly ever see any homegrown players coming through the ranks. Uh, I, I think more about Airdrie, we've had young guys appearing, especially around about Jimmy Boyle's time where it was forced on them, but 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 we've seen guys like Liam Watt, Nathan Blockley, Jamie Bain, Ryan Donnelly coming through. We've had Jordan Allen and, and Liam Coogan spotted by other clubs and taken on. But from breaking into the first team and looking promising, 
to then get into a higher level is seems to be a massive jump. And actually, there's been players like Liam Buchanan and Ricky Lamy, who were probably less fancied when they first broke in, uh, have gone on to to play at, at a higher level and, and kind of sustain themselves there. I mean, it's obviously not an easy thing to get through, and I'm not expecting you to say a couple of sentences. Oh, here's all you need to do. But I mean, what do you think is key about that development from your promising youth, you're spotted, you maybe get your first team break, but then to turn yourself into a seasoned pro that can maybe play in the Scottish Premiership, what do you think are the key points to, to work on? Well, again, this isn't, a, this isn't a dig at any of the players that you've mentioned, because I think some of the boys there, particularly Jamie and Ryan, were, were tremendous. I think Liam, Liam Buchanan came through Harps Academy, I believe, so he was probably full-time. So he kind of had that sort of full-time experience, if you like, so I think that definitely helped. But I think though, a lot of the players' development come, comes down to them, their mentality, what they do away from training. Also, if you've got a manager, though, that's willing to play a young player and take a chance, some might say it's a risk, but that, that's key to a player's development. If you've got a young player that comes through, that's doing really really well in training, that's maybe been out on loan somewhere, that's came back in, and he's not getting that opportunity to play in the first team, then his development's going to stall. If you get a player, though, that has came through and he's got loads and loads of games under his belt, again, if you're part-time, You've maybe got a job Monday to Friday. You're maybe round about that age where you maybe got a fiance or a girlfriend. You're, you're, you're a football player, so you want to have your own independence. You want to have your own house, so you can start taking on other responsibilities. Are you really going to give up your Monday to Friday job that pays your bills to chase a full-time dream? I don't think so. So I think um, one one of the things that's very important, and you said it yourself, it was kind of forced on Jimmy when he was there to, to play a lot of the young players. I think if you've got a manager that's willing to take a chance and play a young player, that's definitely going to help their development and it, it potentially is going to help them kick on. If you look at Josh Edwards, for example, I waited on Fairland full-time. Again, he came in sort of under-17s at the time it was. There was an opportunity, again, because of how the club was going at the time, and there was an opportunity for him to move up to play under-20s at a young age. He did, he done well. Um, and then when Stevie was manager, uh, Stevie gave him that, that opportunity, played numerous games, done well, some of them, not so well in others. He's still got a lot to learn, but he's fantastic ability, great attitude and training. And I think that's going to stand him in really good stead. And I hope he's one of the ones. Hopefully we can have a conversation in a couple of years and see there's an example of a player that's left there and going on to bigger and better things. And I think the hope for all of us is we can hold on to that. As hopefully the first team progresses, we can hold on to some of these guys and yes, they become championship footballers, but that's because they're, they're doing it for us. So it's, it's quite difficult to, and it must be for you guys as well. You'll feel success when Huddersfield come in and take a young prospect, but when it happens so quickly, or Tony Watt playing, what, 15 games maybe for the first team, uh, and we're in such a poor position that somebody comes in and, and makes an offer that the club can't refuse. Yeah, uh, it'd be it'd be great to see them flower uh, with us rather than than, than making yeah, that move at quite an definitely. early stage. And I, th- I think as well with with the hybrid model now, um, and the opportunity for the boys to come in and train full time, um, I think that that's tremendous. We've got at the club some really committed coaches, hence why we can offer training three nights a week. We don't have to, but we offer training three nights a week and on a Sunday if they don't if the boys don't have a game. So potentially they're training up to four times a week. So you're looking there around about seven and eight hours worth of football. For part-time clubs, if they, if they move on and go part-time, they train twice a week for an hour and a half, two hours. So they, they, they automatically, they're, they're almost halving their contact time with the ball. 
and they're round about that age. Again, if they leave school and get an apprenticeship or a job or they go to college, they don't have the time to go and put the work in themselves and do things away from training that would potentially help them get that kind of full-time step up. So hopefully, yeah, with the with the hybrid model as well, I think more of the boys that we get through the academy and into that setup will hopefully get us up um, and have that opportunity to play at either championship or higher. That would be great. Key challenges for the academy, I mean, one obvious one seems to be financial. Falkirk uh, seem to have a very good academy, a sizable academy, and then took the decision, I think, what, at the start of last season that they were going to shelve that just because of the financial commitment involved. So for any club that, that's having to decide how it allocates its resources, temptation must always be there to say, well, we'll just put it in the first team and we'll pick up players from elsewhere rather than develop our own. So th- there's an obvious one, but what other challenges do you face in, in trying to run a successful academy? Well, just on the Falkirk one, Falkirk were part of uh, the Fourth Valley Elite setup, so there was three or four clubs paying money into that and they just didn't feel they were getting a return, whereas if it was their own academy... They're getting the pick of the 16 players or whatever it may be. It's their coaches. So I, I can kind of see where they were coming from in terms of if, if they're not getting a return, they're not seeing the return. And yeah, you're right, 50 quid spent on a young player is 50 quid they could be putting in and bumping somebody's wages up. Some of the key challenges that we face at the moment, um, I would probably say player recruitment, which I've already sort of touched on. Trying to make sure that I've got the right coaches in place at the right age groups is a massive challenge. And again, from my own background, understanding long-term athlete development and certain stages in, in boys' um, maturity, we need to make sure we've got the right people in the right places. And it's not just about, there's a ball, go and kick it, or whatever it may be, the kind of old-school model. We, we need to make sure that we're doing the right things by the players as they are now. Training schedules, I'm probably saying that, that's a big one. Communication's a huge factor as well, good and bad. But yeah, there's a number of challenges that we face on a weekly basis, sometimes a daily basis. But to be honest with you, Colin, it's just one big juggling act. I didn't know I could juggle up until about a year and a half ago. Sometimes you drop the ball, you just pick it back up and carry on, try and learn from mistakes that either I've seen others do or some that I've done myself. And we just need to make sure that we deliver on what we offer the players. And that's a good experience and the potential opportunity to progress at the club. And what about supporters? Is there anything that we can do as fans to, to help the academy? Probably the biggest thing would be any young player that comes through. I, I think it's important to understand if they're 16, 17, 18, whatever it may be, and they make their competitive debut. As a as a fan, yes, you have a certain expectation in your head of a player that pulls on in the other strip should be able to play a five-yard pass. But sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes the ball goes out of the park. Sometimes it gets intercepted. And the last thing that I would want if I was a player would be somebody getting on my back because I know I've made that mistake I don't need some guy sitting in the stands telling me I've made that mistake I know that so I'm going to make sure I'm busting my backside to try and get the ball back but I think that's probably the biggest thing is a wee bit of understanding when the young boys are on the pitch but also coming along and seeing some of the games get involved contact us come and speak to the coaches come and speak to myself see how you can get involved because we're always looking for volunteers we're always looking for people that might have an experience in X, Y or Z. That might be good to come in and, and introduce the boys to something slightly different, something that, something else that we can offer these players that some of the other clubs don't offer. 
Um, I know, as I said, one of the things that we were very big on is video analysis. So we watch the games back, we clip them, we show the boys their clips. But not a lot, of, not a lot of clubs get that. Not a lot of players get that. Young players, especially in the sort of key stages of development. But yeah, if any, if there's any supporters out there that think that able to contribute then please feel free to get in touch. But the biggest thing is, if they make an appearance for the first time, is to encourage them to continue that encouragement because you want it to be a good experience for them that they're going to want to keep working hard and they're going to want to keep coming back and playing for their day. And two things on that then, Scott. So if you want to find out more as an Airdrie fan, there's your column in the programme, but how else can people find out what games are coming up for the academy or, or how could they contact you if they wanted to get involved? Once me and the extremely busy Stuart Matthew sit down over the next couple of weeks, there will be a, a new um, section on the website about the academy. Um, we don't have any social media at the moment. That is one thing that we're looking at. But again, with a small club, um, we would be looking for either one of the coaches to do it because um, I certainly don't have the time to fit that in. Uh, my wife would probably want a divorce so yeah we're, we're, we're looking at kind of updating the website um, and then obviously the sort of weekly call or the column and in, in, in the programme as well but yeah those are the kind of main main ways of keeping in touch with us That's been a great insight and really interesting I hope that some people listening who have got something to offer will get in touch uh, and I wish you all the luck with the, the academy teams this year and I look forward to seeing you at some games No, that's brilliant Colin thanks very much mate I really appreciate that <laughs> Yeah.